0: We are in the Easter series, uh, What Are You Looking For? We're in the Gospel of John. Today we're in John chapter 19. And just to set the context for the passage that we're going to read, Jesus in chapter 18 is brought to the Roman governor's headquarters so that he might be tried for treason. According to the Jewish authorities, he is claimed to be king in opposition to Caesar. Pilate finds no guilt in him, but he's under mounting pressure to make a decision. When he offers to release a Jewish political criminal, uh, he puts Jesus and Barabbas before the crowds, and he probably thinks, okay, they'll choose Jesus because Barabbas is a revolutionary, he's a murderer, but they choose Jesus. Pilate is torn, he's conflicted. The burning questions in today's text are, who has authority to act? What's the relationship between power and authority? Max Weber, he was a German sociologist writing at the beginning of the 20th century, and he uh, wrote about power and authority. He defined power as the ability to exercise one's will over others. Authority, he said, is accepted power, that is power that people agree to follow. According to Max Weber, there are three kinds of authority in society. There is traditional authority, there's legal authority, and then there's charismatic authority. Uh, legal authority, it's legitimized by laws, rules, regulations. Here's an example of legal authority. A number of weeks ago, I'm on Highway 17, wrapping around Surrey. As I drive along, I notice that the traffic slows, so I slow down as well. There's a policeman to my right. As I go by, he just goes like this. And I pull over. As I wait in my car, I'm thinking, okay, uh, was I speeding? No, I won't have to confess that sin to my wife. Um, Was I on my smartphone? No. No. Why did he pull me over? So I sit there, and I wait obediently. Eventually, I get out. I start walking to his car. He gets out of his police car. And he says, why did you stop? I said, you went like this. He says, you're free to go. I said, thank you very much. I didn't argue with him. I drove off, sped off. That's legal authority, right? The policeman, he represents authority by his uniform, his car, the laws of the land. Then there's traditional authority. Traditional authority is based on history, on customs, culture, tradition. When I was a young boy, my mother, if she would say this, Raymond, I would just stop. I knew that I had probably done something wrong. I was probably guilty. Even today, if you say to me, Raymond, I will probably just (laughs) shudder. It was never, hey, Ray, you did something wrong. Isn't that fun? Never. Raymond? That's traditional authority. Charismatic authority, it's granted to a person based on the person's qualities, their, their vision. So, for example, when I was young, Martin Luther King, he was a charismatic Authority. He commanded a powerful movement that affected positive change without military force. He organized nonviolent protests to combat injustice, and a lot of change was affected. He inspired a movement. Even this weekend, the March for our lives, Uh, young children, young adults, teenagers, uh, hundreds of protests, about 800 protests worldwide, protesting for the end to gun violence. That's charismatic leadership. Whether we recognize it or not, we all have authority figures in our lives. There are parents and teachers and managers and supervisors and bosses and church leaders and coaches, Police officers, judges, politicians, all kinds of authority. We all, at some level, submit to authority. We all exercise authority. Sometimes it's easy for us to submit. Sometimes we struggle because of personal will. Sometimes we struggle because of sinful nature. We want to be independent. Probably all identify with the young boy who was told to sit down, and he said, well, on the outside I'm sitting down, but inside I'm still standing up. We all identify with that in some way. And if authority has been abused in our lives, then of course, submission to authority becomes very complex. In today's text, there are three ty- these three types of authority. There is legal authority, there's traditional authority, and there's charismatic authority. The, the story, the narrative, it oscillates between the inside and outside scenes, as in chapter 18. Let's read John chapter 19, verse 1. It begins inside the governor's headquarters, 19.1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate has legal authority. He is exercising power over Jesus. What does he do inside the governor's headquarters? Well, he has Jesus flogged. And the Romans, they had three types of flogging there was what was known as the fustigatio that was the lightest form of flogging for a minor crime there was also the flagellatio which was a more brutal beating for a mere, more serious crime they were experts in flogging and then there was the verberatio which was the severe scourging that jesus would face before his uh, would receive before his execution Here in this moment, in verse 1, the flogging that Jesus receives is probably the fustigatio, the lightest form. Pilate is trying to teach Jesus a lesson. The crown of thorns, it's a mock crown, probably made of the long spikes of the date palm. They could be 12 inches long, and so that crown would actually, those thorns would sink into Jesus' skull. They put a royal robe around him, a, a cloak, probably a military cloak. Again, representing a royal robe. They're mocking Jesus. They mockingly adore him. Hail, King of the Jews! Again, mimicking what they would say to the Emperor Hail, Caesar. They strike him repeatedly in the face. These, these acts of mockery actually stand at the center of the trial of Jesus before Pilate. And what Pilate is doing is he is humiliating Jesus. He's trying to demonstrate to Jesus that he has authority, that he has power, that he has the control over the situation. First point in your outline Power exercised for the sake of power is authority abused. When power is exercised just for the sake of power, it is authority abused. Patakos, known as one of the seven sages of Greece, he wrote, The measure of a man is what he does with power. How would we measure Pilate. With the humiliation of Jesus, Pilate hopes to have appeased the Jewish authorities. Up to this point, it appears that his intent is actually to release Jesus. Let's continue to read John 19, verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, So Pilate now brings Jesus out before the mob for the first time, and for the second time, he declares Jesus to be not guilty. Jesus comes out as this vulnerable figure. He's bloodied, he's he's bruised, he's swollen, he's been shamed. Pilate presents Jesus with the declaration Behold the man! And it probably, that statement probably conveys the sense of, Look at this poor fellow. Look at this misguided Jewish man. Could he ever be a threat to Rome? Pilate's words, they, they, they carry the deeper irony of the situation. Pilate actually doesn't know who stands before him. He hasn't listened to the word of truth, the voice of truth, the voice of Jesus. The Son of Man stands before him. You see, in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist saw Jesus from a distance, what did he say? John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He then sees the Spirit of God descend on Jesus at his baptism, and at the end of chapter 1, Jesus presents himself as the Son of Man. You see... Jesus is the perfect man. He's the one who represents what it means to be truly human. He represents what God intended man to be. If you want to know what a person should look like, how a person should behave, how a person should think, how a person should live, then look at Jesus. Jesus is a person who lives in communion with the Father. He walks full of the Spirit. He obeys the Father's commands. He lives for the glory of the Father. He's the he's man par excellence, the son of man. The words of Pilate also I believe echo what Jesus said to his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16 verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? How do you and I answer that question of Jesus? Jesus. Who do we say that Jesus is? You know, Greeks and Romans, they had their idea of the ideal man. An ideal man would have been a man like Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, he left his homeland. He went far. He conquered nations, and then he came back to glory, his own glory. That's what it means to be a man, the Greeks would say. If you read through the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus is actually the anti-hero. He, he leaves his father's home. He lives for the glory of the Father, not his own. And he doesn't run over people. No, he pours out his life for people. So do we want to listen to the voice of the Son of Man? Do we want to follow the Son of Man. Which way do you and I want to follow? The way of Alexander the Great or the way of Jesus? Pilate didn't know who was standing before him. He wasn't ready to listen to the voice of Jesus. The Jewish authorities in this story, they represent traditional authority. They did have some authority granted to them by Rome, but their authority came more from religion, from tradition, from history, from customs and culture in Judea. And they cry for Jesus' condemnation. Crucify him! Crucify him, they cry. And Pilate, for the third time, he says, not guilty. And usually, when a Roman governor would have said three times not guilty, that verdict would stand. But the Jewish authorities argue, he has made himself the son of God. By our law, he has to die. And the trial now morphs. Up until this point, it was a a political trial. Jesus guilty of treason. Now it morphs into a religious conversation. It's of a different nature. The deepest motives of the Jewish authorities are being revealed. They want this charismatic authority, Jesus, removed from the scene. We find some background to this conversation in the Gospel of John. For example, in John chapter 5, when uh, Jesus says that he has God as his own father, the Jews, they want to kill him. Uh, 5.18, John 5.18, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In chapter 8, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Again, the Jewish authorities want to stone him. In chapter 10, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, they want to stone him. For them, all of this was blasphemy, worthy of death. Pilate, when he hears those words that Jesus said he was the Son of God, he's impacted deeply. He's even more afraid. Why would he be afraid? Well, remember when Pilate put before the crowd Jesus and Barabbas? According to Matthew chapter 27, right around that time, in that moment, his wife comes to him, Matthew 27, 19, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. His wife had a dream, and she came to him with a word. The Romans, they were deeply superstitious. Superstitious. Pilate had just whipped Jesus. Could it be that he had just angered the gods? Could it be that Jesus was a divine man, a man with supernatural powers? Who is Jesus? A critical point needs to be made here. In that moment when Jesus was being tried, the Jews and Romans were not able to determine who Jesus was. They did not determine who Jesus was. And we, in our day, in the 21st century, we do not decide who Jesus is. The position we give him or don't give him in our lives does not determine who Jesus is or what kind of authority he carries. Second point in your outline. Jesus' identity and authority are not determined by our position and our opinion. Sometimes we think that we can determine who Jesus is. Our position, our opinion, does not determine who Jesus is. Toward the end of the 19th century, uh, theologians had been discussing some time, for some time who Jesus was. For them, the Scriptures were no longer authoritative, the Scriptures were not infallible, and so they were trying to determine who the historical Jesus was. And one of those theologians, Albert Schweitzer, he made a comment on the exercise that they were engaged in, and he wrote, When we peer down to the bottom of a well looking for Jesus, we see our own faces reflected in the water. In other words, we are making Jesus into our own image and we need to humble ourselves today and recognize that Jews and Romans did not determine Jesus' identity and we in the 21st century also do not determine who Jesus was and is. We don't have the authority to do that. Well, who does? Pilate is afraid. He's not sure who Jesus is. So he pulls Jesus back into his headquarters. Let's continue to read. Here's an inside conversation. Chapter 19, verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate asked Jesus a question inside the headquarters. Who, where are you from? You see, in the ancient world, one's identity, uh, their, their sense of honor, it came from one's place of origin. Jesus remained silent. Maybe he remains silent because he has just had a conversation with Pilate about the reason for his coming, the purpose for his life, to bear witness to the truth, and Pilate has not listened. Why would Pilate be open to truth now? Jesus' origins, of course, were were frequently at issue in his dealings with the Jewish authorities. In chapter 8, when he said, I am the light of the world, that statement, it was challenged by the religious leaders, and Jesus answers them with this, John chapter 8, verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. In John 9, Jesus heals a blind man born blind. And in a conversation with that blind man, Jesus reveals himself to him as the Son of Man. Again, the religious leaders contest what Jesus has done, and they say to the blind man in chapter 9, verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Here in the headquarters, in this conversation between Pilate and Jesus, Pilate responds to Jesus' silence in the only way that he knows how, with a bullish threat. Verse 10, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Don't you know that Caesar has given me power over your life? And Jesus, he responds in a a kingdom from above Kind of way, verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. You see, Jesus' authority is determined by his origin and God given entrustment. Jesus' authority is determined by his divine origin, his God given entrustment. This is a really important point. You know, Max Weber, he said that authority is accepted power. That is, people agree to follow an authority. People listen and follow out of respect. And that is only partially true because ultimately, according to the Scriptures, all authority rests with God. If we exercise any authority in life, whether it be traditional, legal, or charismatic It is divinely entrusted authority. We need to know that. You see, the word authority means out of the center of being. And the only one who carries authority out of the center of his being is God. God is the source of all authority. And if you or I exercise any authority in life as parents, as teachers... As church leaders, as managers, as bosses, as judges, as politicians, it is granted authority. And we must exercise that authority in light of that entrustment. If we have this perspective on authority, if we follow the scriptures and recognize that all authority actually comes from God, then do we remove all moral responsibility from human beings? No. We as human beings, we're responsible for our thoughts, for our decisions, for our actions. But our voluntary actions do not keep God from accomplishing his purposes. In fact, our guilt is the very reason for Jesus submitting to Pilate's authority and taking our sin upon himself. Now, how is Jesus able to submit to authority in that moment of injustice? He can see through Pilate. He can see through the Jewish authorities. How is he able to submit to the authority being exercised over his life in that moment? Well, he knows that the Father has authority over all things, and he trusts Him. Even the worst evil cannot escape the Father's hand. He knows that Pilate's authority is derived from God later, Peter will describe Jesus' response in this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, you and I, what would enable us to submit to authority when injustice is being done. How do we walk through unjust situations? Well, when we know that our Father has authority over all things, and we trust him the way Jesus did, when we know that we've been born from above, that our identity actually comes from the Father, that we're born of the Spirit, that we're born to a living hope, when we know that we belong to another kingdom, that our identity, our purpose, our truth, are grounded in God, not the fleeting kingdom of this world, not in the one exercising authority over us, then we can stand because of who God is. The inside conversation here between Pilate and Jesus, it it ends with a chilling statement at the end of verse 11. Therefore, Jesus says, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And I believe that Jesus here is referring to Caiaphas, the high priest. He has committed the greater sin. He has consciously, willfully delivered Jesus to Roman authority. He initiated the trial. He acted with a high hand. He, of all people on earth, the high priest, the the representative of the people of Israel before God, he should have known who Jesus was. And he delivers Jesus to Roman crucifixion. So we are responsible for the way that we submit to authority. We're responsible for the way that we Exercise authority. We are accountable to God. Here's a rather rather silly illustration. Uh, this week, one of our members, we'll call him Jack, he confessed this to me. He was uh, in downtown Vancouver, uh, midday, in his car, and he was on Georgia and uh, construction workers were working on the street. And so traffic was slowed down. In fact, he'd been slowed down to a snail's pace. And as he was waiting, he got more and more frustrated. He got more and more angry. Finally, you know, after waiting for quite some time, he got by the construction workers. And as he did that, he began to speed up over the Georgia viaduct and there was a police officer waiting for him. Raider gun. Poof. Pulled him over. So Jack is sitting in his car. The police officer comes up to his window and he says, "Why were you speeding?" And Jack says, "I'm angry." <laughs> He says, what's wrong with the civil authorities in this city? Why are construction workers working on the avenue at this time of day? Traffic is backed up. I'm way behind. And the police officer says, you were going 40 kilometers over the speed limit. I can impound your car. And Jack responds, fine, I deserve it. Give me a fine. (laughs) So the police officer goes back to his car, probably moved to tears, and uh, thinks about it, comes back to Jack's car, up to the window, and he says, Jack, you're the model citizen. You're accountable. You admit wrongdoing. I'm going to give you the minimum fine, $167. Doesn't that testimony move you to tears? Just You know, it, 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 it's testimony to the effectiveness of our preaching and our discipleship at Willingdon. Our members, when they commit crimes, they just admit wrong immediately. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but the truth is, we're all accountable. Not only to submit to authority, but accountable for the way that we exercise authority. And if we exercise power out of Anger we will be destructive. If we exercise authority out of a twisted mindset, we will be abusive. But if we exercise authority out of communion with God, we'll be like Him. We'll be gracious and merciful and slow to anger, we'll be kind, we'll be just, we'll wash others' feet, we'll be like Jesus. At the end of the trial, Pilate is making repeated attempts to release Jesus. He's under mounting pressure. He knows that Jesus has done nothing worthy of death. Verse 12, John 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words... He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, "'Behold your king!' They cried out, "'Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him!' Pilate said to them, "'Shall I crucify your king?' The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The crowd shouts, If you release Jesus, you are no friend of Caesar. And with that statement, Pilate makes his decision. Why? You see, on previous occasions, the Jewish authorities had already brought the name of Pilate before Rome. They had expressed their displeasure with Pilate. Tiberius Caesar, he was a a crazy kind of leader. He was swift and ruthless in his punishments. He would entertain all kinds of suspicions. One of his best friends was Sejanus. The Roman historian Tacitus, he wrote... The closer a man's intimacy with Sejanus, the stronger his claim to the emperor's friendship. And Sejanus was Pilate's mentor. This supposed friend of Caesar, he he was Pilate's mentor. And Sejanus had just fallen from grace. And Tiberius Caesar had Sejanus executed. So Pilate is probably thinking, why would these Jewish authorities not complain to Rome again? And should they complain to Tiberius Caesar, that paranoid leader, what will he think? If I have released a man accused of being a traitor, one who has set himself up as a king, how will Rome treat me? From his perspective, his life depends on Rome. He needs the favor of Rome. If you were to answer this question today, how would you answer? On whom does your life depend today? On whose favor do you depend? Under whose authority do you live? Pilate, he takes the judgment seat. It's an elevated area so that the judge stands over the crowds. And he makes his second presentation of Jesus. Behold, your king. A king, shamed by Rome, rejected by his own people. The long-awaited king of the Jews stands before you. And the crowd shout all the more, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate cries, Shall I crucify your king? And the crowd say, We have no king but Caesar. And with that statement... They deny the identity that God had given them as His people. They, they turn their backs on their, on their God given purpose, their reason to be. They were to be God's people on earth, they were to reflect God's glory, they were to usher in the Messiah. They deny God. We have no king but Caesar. Simply put, we all have to choose. We all have to choose. There is no in-between ground. We choose to submit to the authority of Jesus or we choose to submit to the authority of the kingdom of this world. We choose to submit to the authority of Jesus or the authority of the kingdom of this world. Pilate, he chooses in that moment the kingdom of of this world. He believes that Rome has all authority over his life, that his life depends on Rome, and so he capitulates to the pressure and he delivers Jesus to be crucified. The Jewish authorities, they should know who God is, but they too choose the kingdom of this world and in the exercise of their power, they deliver the Messiah to be crucified. Jesus, Jesus knows who his father is. He knows where he came from. He knows where he's going. He knows who he is. He submits to the legal and traditional authorities on that day because he knows that all authority belongs to the Father. John chapter 1, verse 10. He, Jesus... He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen? Amen. So if we're disciples of Jesus then what are the implications for us? Well, we need to know our God-given identity, our purpose in life. We need to know the truth. We need to know that God our Father does have authority over all things, that we can trust Him. We need to know that in our day, God will accomplish His purposes. We need to know that we live under God's authority. And when we exercise authority then we're called to do that in alignment with who God is. Be like Him. And if we're convicted because we've been abusive in the exercise of our authority, then we repent, we ask for forgiveness. Jesus died for us. If we're convicted because we have vacillated, we have wavered, we have waffled under pressure, then again we repent, we ask for forgiveness. Jesus died for us. And if you're here today and you have never made that decision for Jesus, you have never received Jesus, you have never decided to become a child of God, then Jesus is present present inviting you to know him. And I would urge you, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If today you see Jesus in a new way, you realize, okay, Jesus, is, he was not just a man. He was not just a prophet. He was truly the Son of God, sent by the Father. You can make a choice to receive him as Savior and King. Earlier we were singing about Jesus being our King. You can sing that from the heart if you receive Jesus and submit to his authority. You can recognize that you're a sinner and that you desperately need him. Repent, ask for forgiveness. Jesus died for you. Jesus invites you to be his son, to be his daughter. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So if you have never decided for Jesus, I invite you to pray with me in this moment. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus for my salvation. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I desperately need you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my sin upon yourself. I surrender my life to you. I receive you as my Savior as my King, as my Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to live within me so that I might follow you in life. I thank you for the gift of forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. I entrust myself to you. In Jesus' name. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, then pray this with me. Father, you have authority over all things, and we thank you. Oh God, may we live in the reality of that authority. May we live in submission to you may we trust you to accomplish your purposes in our lives in our families in this church in the world as we exercise authority God may we honor you whether we be at home or in the workplace or on the street oh God may we reflect your character and where we have not honored you as we have exercised authority Lord we ask for your forgiveness for those moments when we have vacillated, when we have waffled, when we have not stood firm, when we have capitulated to the pressure, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Oh, Lord, thank you that you draw us back to, your, back to yourself by your Spirit. May, may we live for your glory today, this week, this Easter season. May we walk under the anointing of your spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week.